You found it. No nonsense. No scripts. Real people on real issues. Hard hitting and action packed with logic, reason, and common sense. Everything you need and everything you've been looking for in a podcast. This is Dynamic Independence with Johnny Anderson, Bruce Adams, Marty Foster, and GP. Welcome to it. Good evening, gentlemen. It's great to see both of you here today. Marty, it's been a real pleasure to uh, have us blessed with your presence today. Glad to see you. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, you patronizing swine, you. Yeah, just and, wait until uh, I bring up all this stuff today. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, how are you doing today? Healthy and alive. Yeah, doing well. I'm I, Honestly, seriously, this this has been fantastic weather here. It, it, it's like 60 degrees outside today. Uh-huh. And it's been, I, I've been absolutely loving the last few days. Uh, it, it, usually we're in like 80 to 90 degree weather right now. And this is oh, well, so nice. Bruce, it's calm before the storm because we've got man-made yeah. climate change coming and you've got, and you know, just as well as I do, every single tornado, we're going into tornado season, mm-hmm. every single oh, tornado. Yeah, we're already here. Every single tornado is now going to be called a man-made climate disaster. Every single one. So just get ready for it. But we'll get into climate change here shortly because there's a new clip of uh, Greta Thunberg. She's come back out. She's she's made her uh, her presence known in the last 24 hours. And uh, she's so graciously decided to give us her wisdom on uh, climate change, the pandemic, and um, inclusiveness on administering of vaccines for each country and how that should be done. So uh, we'll, we'll get into that shortly. I, I want to start today with a, a guy that is a pub owner in the... You're, in, uh, you're shaking your head, Marty. You already know who I'm talking about. Uh, the pub owner in... Excuse me. Pardon my, uh, <clears throat> my American accent here. The Bob. publican. Yes. He's a, he's a publican. He's a publican. Uh, Okay, yeah, and he's, he he's from pub, the he's a publican, yeah. and he's from the city of we would say Bath, but it's not Bath; it's Bath, isn't it? Well, I say Bath, but then again, um, oh, it sounds like it's kicking off are somewhere. The, are they coming? Are they outside. coming for you? Is that? Did you break quarantine? Uh, no, no, I've been nowhere. Yeah, he's a he's a publican in in Bath, and he <laughs> he he made a very strong protest uh, against the leader of the opposition, Sir Keir Starmer because he was of the opinion that it was his job to stand against and oppose the government, not to uh, bend over and agree to everything that Bojo has suggested um, via SAGE um, in terms of lockdowns and how much impact that has been on his business. So when Sir Keir Starmer came for a, a quick pint in his pub, he kicked him out. He says, you are not allowed in my pub. Get that man out of my pub. And he was being held back by the security detail, which, of course, him being leader of the opposition, he warrants. But I reckon if he'd have got to him, he could have been in a lot of trouble. In fact, both of them would have been in a lot of trouble. Yes and no. There was that video. There was also a I mean, this is before he actually went in, uh, but he actually confronted him out front. Uh, I don't know if you saw that video as well, but uh, he did stand. You could see the security start to approach the guy. And he says, look, you don't need your security. He says, I'm just standing here. He says, but I I want to address you. I have that clip. Let's just play a couple of seconds of this audio here. (laughs) The last time we had this much death was 2008. That's the British Medical Journal. 
No, no, I came here to speak to this man, not your security. You failed me. We, I've been a Labour voter my entire life. You have failed to be the opposition. You have failed to ask where the lockdown was functioning. Sorry, there's a car just behind. Can we just... Do you understand? Can we go in here? Thousands of people have died because you have failed to do your job and ask the real questions. Well, I am telling you now, and I hope this goes out, you have failed this country. You have seriously failed. You, you have allowed our children to wear masks in school when it's never been any evidence for it. Yeah, by this time he'd calmed down a bit because yeah, I think he realised that it, it, it would be a mistake to physically assault the leader of the opposition. But you can hear how... Um, wound up and passionate he is about what he's saying and he's got every right to be and uh, yeah the trouble is there's there's fewer people who are aware of these these facts we were harping on on our podcast about how bad party politics are for any country because all you do is get this petty tit for tat point scoring in parliament or the house or wherever it's happening so on the face of it, Keir Starmer appeared to be actually refreshing because he was going with the government on these decisions. But either he's as ill-informed as they are being, or more likely is he's one of the elite. He is, um, you know, he was a very successful human rights uh, barrister and and now a politician. So, like I've said many times. You don't have to buy the whole party. You just have to buy the leadership. And he's as bought and paid for as Boris is. You know, he, he stands there and he talks about uh, how he's supposed to be the voice of the opposition. Quite frankly, I haven't seen any, not just in the UK, but in any Western nations in general. I haven't seen any. If there has been any, then it's been promptly shut down and, and squashed. But well, I haven't seen any voice of opposition. Uh, I mean, yes, you see the, the occasional politician come out and say, we shouldn't be doing this. We should be doing this way, this way. But we're looking at an aspect here of the ruling parties. Have you noticed that we're we're all in this same situation now? All of us are in the same situation. The French are stuck. The Germans are stuck. The English, you're stuck. The Canadians, you're stuck. The Americans, we're stuck. We're all stuck now in one party rules. Have you noticed that? We were in the process of working our way out, and now all of a sudden we're back into where we can't work our way out. In the in the interest of fairness, and we should always be fair, if he had have opposed the government at every step, and um, probably quite rightly on most cases, like mask wearing and lockdown and so on and so forth, he would have been vilified for that, for just what we talked about before. He would have been be vilified. vilified. Be vilified. But they're so... They're so keen to get into power. They they are literally pissed on power, and that's all they're interested in. They want to be the next government. They didn't get to be the next government because Corbyn was basically unelectable as far as the the the, the Labour voting populace were concerned. The older generations, the ones that have lived through the, the troubles in Northern Ireland, and, and there you have Corbyn cuddling up to terrorists left, right and Chelsea, as we say in the UK. You know, he, he had links to Hamas, he had links to Hezbollah, he had links to the IRA. He was unelectable. However, I actually think now that Corbyn might have been 
a better option had he not had policies that were going to bankrupt the country. But look where we are. We've got a bankrupt country because the people we did put into power have gone along with everything that the World Economic Forum via the World Health Organization has told them to do, which of all, all of course, seems to be, well, I say of course, appears to be coming from uh, the Davos elite. You know, so Corbyn might have been a better option because we'd have still been bankrupt, but at least we wouldn't have um, have gone through these ridiculous lockdowns. Well, you'd have, honestly, I think the uh, the pandemic, you know, quote the the pandemic made Corbyn irrelevant. It, it made him irrelevant. Yeah, I, I agree with you in in a sense about that. But I, honestly, you don't need Corbyn with his uh, his policies anymore, do you? Any more than you need Bernie Sanders with his policies in the U.S. You don't need him anymore. When it comes to that, he doesn't have to promote those policies because everything with the pandemic threw all of the traditional rules of finance and economics out the window, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it did. This reset is is happening by design. And all those old, uh, I say old, uh, it, I mean, it's only what a year and a half ago, but all those old older conventions have been thrown away and people in banking, in business are starting to have to look at this new way of doing things, because if they don't, they will definitely go under. I mean, most of them, a lot of them have already gone under. Lots and lots of small businesses will never trade again um, as a result of this pandemic. That's why we've got so many empty shop premises in the high streets, in the cities. And what are they going to do with them? Well, well I touched on it the other day when I had this uh inspiration that maybe they were going to be turned into clinics, but a lot of it is going to be turned into housing. We were talking a while back about, um, you know, office blocks being turned into uh, low cost housing for the homeless and and people who are having trouble buying their own place. Run by the corporations. Of course, of course. The UK government recently put legislation through to allow 5% mortgages as opposed to 10%. By that, I mean deposits. They have, people have to have at the moment, or, you know, they had to have a minimum of 10% of the, the property value. Now that has been reduced down to 5%, it should allow more people to buy their properties. But of course, they are going to be in greater jeopardy because they better read the, the small print on their, um, on their mortgage agreement because it's going to make it all too easy for the banks for the big corporations, for the globalists to grab that real estate. I haven't heard any good news out of um, government for quite some time. Well, that would make uh, that would make two of us. But you ask, what about the businesses that have been closed? Well, one of those businesses that was considered non-essential was Harrods. And that's a, uh, for, I guess it's not, it's a luxury place, all things considered in, uh, in London, is it not? Yeah, it's, it is a luxury place, but it's owned by an Egyptian. So it's not, it's not exactly British, is it? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it well, used to be British, but it's owned by uh, Fayed. Is it? Um, who okay. was the the father of Dodi Fayed, who was the man that died with Princess Diana in that tunnel in Paris. Interesting. Rabid customers crush into massive Herod's queue after being locked down for months. 
So there was a video shot over the weekend in London, and it shows hundreds of people cramming into a massive queue to get into the department store Harrods after it reopened, along with all other non-essential stores last week. So, yeah, I mean, that's that, that's the thing. Lockdowns have been lifted in the UK. And uh, of course, that's according to what Boris Johnson says. That's not due to vaccines. That's due to lockdowns. So lockdowns have been lifted due to lockdowns. That's yeah, that's interesting. They're saying that similar scenes were witnessed at bars and pubs all over the country. As people crammed into outside areas and beer gardens after they were allowed to reopen, police have said that controlling the situation and continuing to enforce the restrictions they've been mandated to by the government is impossible. You shouldn't do them anyway, quite frankly. I'm not advocating for anarchy. That's not what I'm saying. But any officer that has a half a brain and some wherewithal can see through this agenda. You shouldn't carry it out because... We don't want to go down that road, do we? Yeah, just following orders. Yeah, we know what other group did that. Ken Marsh, chairman of the Met in London, said, We are facing a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation still. How on earth are we supposed to police that? Very good question. Quite frankly, people who buy things from Harrods have either got more money than sense, meaning a lot of money, or they've got no sense at all because everything in that shop is overpriced. You can get just about anything that they sell elsewhere at a fraction of the price. It's all about prestige. It's all about going to Knightsbridge, shopping in Harrods, going to Fortnum and Masons and the other shops that are there in the, in the same street. And these people haven't got the sense they were born with. It's simple as that. Having said that, we recently had some friends who were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's quite an achievement. And we bought them a hamper from Fortnum and Masons. Mm-hmm. For £7,000. Uh, no, it wasn't quite that much. But you can pay those silly kinds of money. Every now and again, they'll have a sale. I mean, it, it's a lost leader. It's like there's there's a breed of um, there's a breed of viper that has this growth on the end of its tail that looks like a small insect flitting about. And I don't know if you've ever seen a clip of this thing. It lives on, on rock faces. And, and the bird goes, oh, look, there's a free insect, and it swoops in. And these can be great big eagles and, and things. I don't, I don't know, mind you, probably not an eagle. But the next thing you know, it's being bitten by the viper. And, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is a lost leader. It's something that, you know, the, the snake gets its tail bitten, but it gets a bird to eat. And that's the way that all commerce, you know, big commerce, does does their business they'll drag you in with some small offer that you think oh that's a bargain but before you know it your trolley's full of stuff you never needed and you've spent four times as much as you intended so yeah crack on enjoy yourself in harrods i'm never gonna go and shop in those big sorts of supermarkets or not supermarkets department stores again bought some chocolate at Harrods once. It was quite pricey. Uh, it wasn't really all that great. No, exactly. It's a, it's a con. It's just because it's got that green and gold livery on the label that um, suggests quality, but actually says ripoff. <laughs> that's right. Okay, so there's a teacher, there's a university teacher uh, that's published a fascinating article in which he argues that the shutdown of pubs, let's talk about pubs here for a minute. I know we led with uh, the pub owner there. And we're kind of talking about businesses and things reopening. Pubs are one of the main things. Uh, but they say that the, this university professor said that the shutting down of pubs 
in the United Kingdom is about silencing dissent. Now, I'm just going to throw this one out there. Now, I'm I'm not going to rehash old wounds here or anything just because you're in here, but I'm just saying it from a historical point of reference here. Oh, I know in what the, you're going to say. Yeah, in, yeah, the, yeah. in the U.S. In the U.S. The, it, 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 well, it, actually, no, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. In the colonies, before <laughs> the United States was formed, in the colonies, one of the key things to forming the resistance against the British were taverns, were the ability for people to get together and organize and have discussions over drinks to figure out what we were going to do to get out of that mess. Same thing with churches. Churches were also key in that as well. Why do you think we have the First Amendment? I mean, uh, for the listener, I mean, all of those things were vital to resisting government. And the first two amendments are for that uh, on top of, um, well, even your religious freedom had an element of resisting the government because many churches, uh, pastors were the leaders of cells, if you will. Yeah. And that's that's one of the other things. We've seen churches closed. Hell, they're still closed in a lot of places. They're still closed. Taverns have been closed. Pubs have been closed. Bars have been closed, whatever you want to call them. Restaurants closed because they don't want people conspiring against what they're doing. They don't want people mounting a resistance because they know that that's how resistance form. If you can't keep the conversation online where you can control it and you can monopolize people's perception, well, we're going to have to shut down all those other things until people do go that way, right? Yeah. So the article by Sean Walsh, uh, which was carried by by, uh, uh, an outlet called Lockdown Skeptics, questions why pubs are still semi-closed while other non-essential retail stores are allowed to fully reopen, despite the fact that there is an entire hospitality industry that was responsible for just 3% of the total COVID infections last year, not deaths, infections. He writes... It's tempting to conclude that the sage types are not worried that pubs are possible vectors of transmission, but they are concerned that the hospitality venues are potential theaters of dissent. Yeah, so at the moment in the UK, although the pubs and restaurants have been allowed to open and serve food and drink, it's only in outside areas. Now, some of the inner city pubs are part of a a, a long street with no way of having anywhere to serve food and drink outside. So they're still effectively shut. But anywhere that is large enough to to have their own beer garden and covered area, but outside, of course, people are still going to meet. But those people will be visible and unable to conduct any kind of clandestine meeting without the police and the, the COVID wardens being able to see them. So yeah, I can sort of see where he's coming from. Well, but- you also have to you also have to look at what happened in Germany. Look what happened in Germany back in the 1920s. Where did the German Workers' Party, which later became the Nazi Party, where did they conspire to mount a resistance against what was the leftist movement, which was Antifa, I might add, that was trying to grab control in Germany? The two factions were warring against each other. How did... Hitler and his cabal come to power. Yeah, it was it was inside a beer garden. Yeah, it, it was in beer halls. That was it. Yeah, but the culture of the time and British culture of the time may that may well have been the case. But bars, restaurants, it it's too obvious a place to meet and and to talk about things and to organise anything these days. Most of this stuff would be done through online chat, but of course. Online, it can be monitored and is being monitored. How else do people organize? In one fell swoop, they've kind of taken everyone's ability to 
organize protests away from them. It can't be done on social media because social media is being monitored. It can't be done, you know, by the old chat rooms and forums that used to, uh, you know, be, be so popular. It can't be done in pubs and bars and restaurants because you, you have to sit outside. You know, it all works on intelligence. And if, if they thought somebody was trying to organize something, you can bet they're being monitored. And it wouldn't take much to have a rifle mic outside in a in a vehicle listening to every word they said round the table at the pub's beer garden. So yeah, they they've done a really good job on us. They they really have taken away our rights and our ability to to organize protest. Unless you're mostly peaceful protesters, in which case right. you're allowed to use Facebook and Twitter to, to organize. But again, that's it, it turns out that the left are the most useful of idiots for the elite to, to use. And so they're, they're giving them all the rope they need to hang themselves. And once they've achieved the aims of making everyone feel embarrassed about having an opinion that differs from theirs, they'll be got rid of because all the evidence will be there online. What they're currently being allowed to say will be redefined as hate speech and they'll, they'll do jail time or they'll be got, they'll, they'll be got rid of. Yep. So at the moment, the most useful of useful idiots are the left. According to what he says, uh, and you're absolutely right on that, by the way, according to what he says in this article, he says it is the pub, uh, it, it is in the pub that people can whisper conspiracy against a government narrative. And conspiracies always require that the like-minded are allowed to gather. It is over a drink that a millionaire and a pauper can come together and compare notes. He went on to say that Boris Johnson is currently offering us a sinister inversion of what a pub is, one in which you are tracked, traced, audited, judged, and humiliated. The roadmap, he's saying in quotes, the roadmap, in this industry at least, is one that leads you not into normal, but into a Twin Peaks version of it. That only works if you actually watch Twin Peaks, which I didn't. I have no clue what happened in Twin Peaks, so that, that's something that's just gone right over my head. I'm quite surprised you understand it because you don't watch television. No, I don't. But I also look at it as a double-edged sword. So Twin Peaks analogy, okay, fine. But I look at it like this. If you want to go to a pub in the UK, you can. If you find one that's actually open. If if you want to go to a pub in the UK, you can. You can enjoy yourself. But there, it comes with stipulations. So you have to do these things in order to go there. So I'm looking at it both ways here. Yes, you can go and you can enjoy it. But there's a stipulation to it. So it's not actually going, is it? It's not the same. Going into a pub when you're a young person, single, it's like the start of the evening. Nowadays, of course, um, well, probably even more so nowadays, a lot of people pre-drink before they go to the pub because the pub is so expensive. Yeah, save um, money. Yeah, so, so they'll load up before they go to the pub. But the pub is just like, or used to be, endless opportunities, endless, you know, things could happen. A lot of people sometimes used to nip out for a quick half with a friend and then wind up in a nightclub in in their their work clothes you know but the nightclubs are shut now so so the endless possibilities that was the word i was groping for earlier have gone i don't know if you two have, have heard of a comedian called mickey flanagan I think he's I've very heard you funny. mention him i think i've heard yeah. you mention him before he's very funny he's a cockney you know so he's from london and he, he tells this whole story about going out are you going out or are you going out, out? If you're going out, out, because that's the way they speak, right. that means you're actually going to put your best clothes on and you're going to go out. 
And he says, I wasn't even coming out. I only came out to get a loaf of bread and some milk. And he's there at three o'clock in the morning dancing with a pint of curdled milk under one arm and a loaf of bread under the other in his slippers. <laughs> so the endless possibilities that going to the pub at the weekend could mean for a young person that they've gone. They're, they've gone because there's no nightclubs open. You can't get to a nightclub. Socially distanced nightclubs. It, it, it's a bit too puritanical. What are they going to do? Dance at, at three meters apart or something? Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. So going to a pub, it's just a tiny appeasement. It's just a little crumb that they're sprinkling to us um, when really what they need to do is tell the truth. But of course, if they tell the truth, someone, would find, a, yeah, yeah. someone would find a way of reinstitute in the death penalty in the uk uh -huh. yeah you know let the punishment fit the crime as far as i'm concerned uh the uk still will not accelerate the reopening despite the covid deaths dropping below get this road accident fatalities the covid deaths have dropped below car accidents and so they still won't open they, they still will not open despite well, no, the figures they're, they're talking about the, this next wave the third wave the indian variant now. oh yeah that's why I said. they're gonna tie you up with the variants yeah they're doing the same bs here right no, no, nobody believes this crap despite the new figures showing the daily number of covid deaths in the uk dropping below those from road accidents the government is still refusing to accelerate the lifting of lockdown restrictions the average number of daily deaths now stands at 25 with covid cases dropping nearly 94 percent from the peak on monday the uk recorded just four total deaths four and though those are deaths within 28 days of a positive COVID test. They're not necessarily COVID still. They're still playing that game. The death numbers that are being reported on the news are people that have died within 28 days of a positive test. Now, within 28 days of having a positive test, during which you could have been asymptomatic, so you're not suffering any ill effects of COVID, You've just you're just carrying the virus. Um, you could have taken up hang gliding. You could have done your own home wiring and got the blue and the brown or the black and the red mixed up. Um, it's, it's it's white and black in America, isn't it? Live and neutral. Yes. Yeah. Or red or red and black. Either. Yeah. Or yeah. red and black. Red and black. Red white. Yeah. yeah. So just about anything could have happened that caused you to throw a double six and leave the game. Not necessarily coughing your lungs up with pneumonia induced by a cytokine storm caused by COVID. Did I, did I tell you what they're doing in the U.S.? They're actually bribing people. They're offering, the U.S. government is actually offering $9,000, up to $9,000 to anyone who believes that their family might have lost a family member due to COVID. They will actually go back and alter the death certificate to say COVID and give them $9,000 to do it. That's disgraceful. Absolutely it is disgraceful. disgraceful. If somebody wants that done, if somebody feels strongly enough that they want COVID on the death certificate, then it should be done if it can be proved. But to give inducements is just so blatantly corrupt and shows what their real intentions are. But people will still buy it because people are greedy. Stop being so greedy, people. If you think that's corrupt, you should hear what they're offering for the application. If you fill out the application, they'll give you $35,000. What application for what? To say that you could have lost a family member to, to COVID during the lockdown. Where, where do I sign? 
Sorry, I'm, <laughs> being, I'm being greedy. Sorry. Uh, I'm gonna actually, speak. actually, he can because he's not a U.S. citizen. He can do that actually, because yeah. it's well, for non-citizens yeah. too. Yeah, as long as as long as the person that died was in the U.S. at the time. Yeah. So, but that's the only caveat. So, if you're if you're here illegally, um, excuse me, you're an undocumented migrant. immigrant migrant. Um, you're 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 able to get the money uh, yourself, but. Um, on this, I, I kind of want to push back just a little bit. Earlier, Johnny, you said we we all see through this. You know, we all know what's going on. Yeah, I, I meant um, us. I, I meant us. Okay, of, I was going to say because us, yeah, we do. But the, the, there was a um, um, an article that New York Times put out here that uh, shows that Americans, at least, they don't know what's going on. They they, they think what was it? Uh, something like 50%. Let me, let me get the, the actual number here. I saw right, you posted 41, that graph. Yeah. Yeah. 41% of Democrats believe that, uh, when you catch COVID 50% and up is your chances of going to the hospital because of COVID that that's so 41% of Democrats believe that 50 plus percent of the time you'll go to the hospital because of COVID. And what's the actual percentage? One to five. That's amazing. So one to 5% of people who catch COVID become hospitalized. Yep. Yeah. That's, yep. That, that sounds about right. I mean, it may have changed. There may have been um, a few more, but at the highest point uh, of the, the infection, when the R rate or whatever it's bloody called, uh, was it at its worst? Or not. Yeah. Um, and, and we had the, the Nightingale hospitals, 4,000 bed hospitals built in exhibition centers, two in the country, one in, in the Midlands and one in London. I believe the number is still only 14 patients were treated in those. Let me ask you a question. Marty, do you like working from home? Have you enjoyed working from home? Have you enjoyed not going into the office since you've been uh, in it's, with all this stuff? It, Have you? It's a bit double-edged. Um I like the the flexibility that working from home has given me. However, I don't think that that makes up for the support, the teamwork ideals, just the general social interaction that you get from working in in a busy office um, with people who are doing the same work as you. I mean, most people don't understand what I do for a living. A lot of them probably think I'm some still some form of engineer. And, and that I'm, you know, doing something scientific. I'm not. Uh, I'm an analyst. You're a flower salesman. Got it. I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a florist. I'm the, I'm the perforator on, of toilet paper. I'm the one who puts the crinkles around these biscuits. No, I don't think that the flexibility of home working makes up for all the things that you're missing from going to an office or a... And wherever anyone was working, I've worked in factories, I've worked in manufacturing. And um, of course, those jobs um, either went completely on hold and the people were furloughed because they they couldn't be justified to go in and produce these things that were non-essential or all the jobs have gone altogether because the companies have gone bust. So no, I, I don't really like working from home if if I weigh it up against the benefits that I had from working in an office. You know, I, I always like the idea of flexible offices, if that makes any sense. I, I like the idea that the company lets the employee choose. Do you need to come into the office? Okay, well, if you don't need to, then you don't have to. I like that idea more. 
as in uh, forget all this public health nonsense that they've been beating us over the head with. But the idea of do you want to come into the office? Do you have a meeting that you have to attend? Okay, well, if you don't, well, then you can do your stuff from home. You can remote in. That's fine. I mean, I like that idea, but I like the choice rather than shutting down the office and not giving people a choice. Yeah, I mean, the the company I work for um, have been very, very good. And the there was always that level of flexibility there anyway. A lot of people work in different parts of the country and they used to commute to my area and stay for four nights in a bed and breakfast while they're going into the office every day and then then go home at weekends and on occasions if they wanted to work from home on a Monday or a Friday so that gave them a longer time without so much travel then that's what we could do we could also start at any time between 6 30 in the morning and 10 o'clock in the morning and then you you just work to do your 7.24 hours depending on what time you start so I used to like to be able to get in before the traffic built up and go home before it built up. So I used to start at 6.30 in the morning and finish at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And and I can still do that from home. So I, I've, I haven't lost anything there, but the company was flexible to begin with. But what I'm missing is, well, I, I used to get called Google or Hey Siri quite a lot because if people had questions, it was faster to shout over the top of the desk, you know, Marty, what's this? And I could usually give an answer. Quite often, I'd make one up if I didn't know, but they still believed me, which was nice. So, um, yeah, I, I miss that. I miss being asked asked questions. I miss uh, being able to ask questions of other people to get a quick answer rather than an email that I have to wait two days to get a reply to. Or, then you have to schedule a meeting and you yeah. sit down, you ask the question, and then you say, okay, that, thanks for your five minutes that we could have done two days ago. Appreciate that. So, yeah, I mean, admittedly, when you're working by yourself, if you click on uh, the little thing that says do not disturb, you can work away undistracted, but you can't get quick answers to simple questions. When you need to ask a person a question, you want that person to be at hand, not down the other end of a Skype call that they may already be engaged in another one and certainly not at the end of an email that could take days to get a reply to. Well, there's a new survey out by an auditing company. So you have various auditing companies that will audit corporations and things like that. And I've done a lot of work with those auditing companies over the years uh, for certain areas of things that I've had to look into. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but one of these companies is, is a company that I'm familiar with, and it's a company that uh, is called Deloitte. And they have conducted a survey of, of quite a few people in the UK, and they have found that, uh, now this is according to you know what they've conducted their survey on, um, out of the London Telegraph, they reported that around 25% of the people that they polled in the survey never want to go back to their place of work ever again, noting that the figure equates to 7.5 million people who would be happy to stay home and work on their own for the rest of their lives. I could not imagine that. I, I could not imagine that. Well, you're still young. I, I can imagine never doing it again because I'm going to retire in a few years' time. But I think it it's it's the way they want us to be shaped. It's the way they they want us thinking. They want us to think that we're we're better off isolated and not interacting, you know, face to face. That that's that's what they want us to think. And and 25 percent 
quite honestly, I, I, I think is a is a fairly low number. I, I, I think the the way people have been convinced and manipulated into thinking that way, I, I would have expected it to be nearer thirty to forty percent. Well, some of these other numbers, uh, people that are in a differing of opinion for this, they say that around 28% say they don't want to work at home anymore and want to get back to their offices or other work environments as soon as possible. Uh, but most of the people that took that survey, around 42% said they want to see some sort of balance and they want to spend at least two days a week working at home, which is what I was talking about, the flexible office. You know, you don't have to go into the office five days a week. Go in three. Go in Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, alternate with Tuesdays and Thursdays to the next week, and so on and so forth. I, I think that what, one of the things that I've always, and all the people that I've that I've hired and, and worked with over the years, one thing that I always stressed when working with a team was make sure that you're watching your work-life balance. Do what you have to do professionally, but have a balance. Don't spend your life working. Spend your time doing whatever it is you're doing when you're not at work. Work your eight hours or 7.5 or whatever it is you do, right? Work that time. But when you're done, you're done for the day. Leave it at the door and go home. Don't think about it. That, that was what I always did. I always left what I was doing at my office. I never took that work home with me ever. Yes, I took the occasional call here and there. But when I was done for the day, I was done for the day. Don't bother me until the next day. I, um, <laughs> I realized that I wasn't getting that right. I was working as a field operations manager for a communications company at the time. And I think it was about quarter to nine in the evening when I pulled the door open and took my mobile phone from me and threw it down the stairs. And I had to finish what I was doing on the toilet because I was speaking to a customer on, on about my 98th mobile call of that day, uh, trying to resolve their problems at quarter to nine in the evening. I was supposed to finish work at four. And, and you're right, you have to strike that work-life balance. And it's too easy to not feel as though you've got a break from work when your office is set up there in your, your study at home and you get out of bed and st instead of um, having your journey into work where you'd listen to the radio or uh, a few minutes while you have your breakfast and, and watch the news, sorry, the lies on, on TV, you're straight up, you're downstairs logging on uh, and then you go and have your breakfast while you're sat reading through your emails. So there's no break from work. There's there's no structure to the day. The whole day can be work-related if you're working from home. So, in fact, going into the office for a team meeting where you can have a good chat about something and, and diversify the conversation a bit from what you're actually doing is probably, probably going to become the new normal. That's where the, those delineations are going to happen. But yeah, I agree with you. The idea of going into the office a couple of days a week, um, working from home the remainder of the week, that would be a, a much better situation. But as, as it stands for me at the moment, I no longer have a desk at my place of work. If I want a desk, I've got to book it. I've got to book the desk. And you have that to gives book the, a desk. Yeah, that, that gives the cleaners a chance to go in and sanitize the area so the, the previous incumbent doesn't pass any communicable diseases to me. For God's sake. Why don't we just work in bubbles, for God's sake? It's just, what, a, what a ridiculous thing. Okay, let's let's get off that. All right, so uh, let's, let's shift over to um, 
uh, what's her name? Uh, the, uh, quite frankly, I think it's child abuse. Uh, what they're doing with, uh, Greta Thunberg. Uh, I've got a clip oh, of her here. Dang. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I've got a clip of her, uh, here. She was out yesterday and she's back again, giving us her take on climate change. And because according to the French president, that's our new, that's our new adversary now is, is the climate, uh, Emmanuel Macron. I don't know if you saw that uh, video that I posted. I played an audio clip of it here yesterday. Uh, our, our new nemesis is now the climate. So we're going to have to deal with that. Uh, and of course, uh, Greta Thunberg, she's out uh, just yesterday giving us advice on, on climate change. And she's also weighed in on the pandemic because she's a health expert now. Let's take a listen to what she had to say. Today, up to 75% of all emerging diseases come from animals. And as we are cutting down forests and destroying habitats, we are creating the ideal conditions for diseases to spill over from one animal to another and then to us. And we can no longer separate the health crisis from the ecological crisis. Mm. And we cannot separate separate the ecological crisis from the climate crisis. It's all interlinked in many ways. And during this pandemic, we have seen what we can achieve when we put resources into science. Vaccines were developed in record time. But so far, on average, one in four people in high-income countries have received a coronavirus vaccine, compared with just one in over 500 in low- and middle-income countries. And the international community, governments and vaccine developers must step up their game and address the tragedy that is vaccine inequity. Well, she uh, she did a great job reading that script. See, she only had one mistake in there. Only only one. And um, phraseology, where, where's she from? She's Swedish. Sweden. Danish. Yes. She's Swedish. Step up their game. Is that the kind of phraseology a Swedish 16-year-old or is she 17 now? No, 18. she's 18 now. She's 18 now. Um, uh, she- by the way, our sound producer, uh, who is in Stockholm, uh, yeah. he does not speak like that. No, of course he doesn't. And that that's a script that's been written for poor Greta. And it's obvious that she's being used as as a as a mouthpiece, as a as a as a front for this. But you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. A lot of what she says, you can see how it's uh, manipulation yeah. and, and how it's uh, coercion by through guilt. It's a guilt trip that is being laid on all of us. But it's it's aimed at the wrong place. The places that are really polluting and cutting down forest and causing this crossover between wild habitat and human habitat are places like India, Brazil, China. Those are the places where this kind of rhetoric needs to be directed. Not to me. I'm living in, in my little house that was built in the early 1950s so i'm i'm probably carbon neutral by now as far as uh where my habitat is concerned i i i grow i grow as many plants as possible in my tiny garden we've talked about my car which is very old so therefore because i'm using an old car and not constantly buying brand new cars i'm i'm reducing my carbon footprint and you um, recycle your garden waste. I do recycle my garden waste, and it's been turned into planters. Where I'm going with this is where I said, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We do need to stop the deforestation of the rainforest, but we have to offer countries like Venezuela, Brazil, an alternative to that. The World Economic Forum and the UN's 
uh, 17 sustainable development goals all seek to take from us in the West and give to to the developing countries. And that's just not fair and that shouldn't happen. What we need to do is support those countries that are polluting the most to do it differently. And, you know, the UK signed up to the, the Paris Agreement and we've stuck with it. The states signed up, but then backed out. Um, possibly, oh, we're back in. We're back in. You're back in. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we have to find alternatives, not just say you're bad because you like a steak once a week. You're bad because you drive a petrol car. You're bad because you've got wooden furniture. Greta, go and get drunk somewhere. Go to a nightclub when they're open because you're 18 now. And I think that means you're old enough in Sweden. Sweden and, never and closed. Well, there you go. She she could be at a nightclub already. But no, you're right. It is child abuse. Dad's got a uh, reading scripts in in a in a second language and giving us all the propaganda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On on this, uh, what what did they do with COVID nineteen? Um, that that is um, very similar here. So the previous narratives didn't work. Climate change. You being a racist, uh, a bigot, you know, all the all the different things they threw at us before. None of those really rebellion. stuck. Yeah, yeah. Th- those things never really stuck. The different narratives they've pushed at us until COVID. And now you might get someone else sick and kill grandma. So now it's a um, life and death. It's all on you and your choices and decisions. Uh, if you notice, everything she's talking about there is directed towards you, the consumer, you, the 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 individual. Uh, they're deforesting and do all these things because you're consuming too much. Or, uh, you know, as far as uh, the example you were using there, Marty, about uh, vehicles and, you know, take your pick. You you can say all the different things. You're consuming too much. You're part of the problem. You're the one killing people. You're the one that's causing the the diseases to spread and, you know, the, the animals getting uh, or, or the, the forest being cut down. So now the animals are finding new habitats and they're having to interact with humans more. Thus, there's more interactions. There's more viruses. So you're the problem. And they're they're now tailoring it to point to the individual person and try to manipulate them, guilt trip them into doing what they want. This is the new narrative. It worked. We allowed it to work over the last year. You know, everybody jumped on board with it. And uh, now here we are. This is this is going to be the the trend going forward. They're, they're going to continue uh, doing this BS and trying to guilt trip us. Sorry, I was just looking around my workshop and I'm trying to establish just how much of the um, tools, the, the power tools, uh, even the hand tools were made in China. Quite a lot of it, really. It's embarrassing. I mean, my drill, my drills are all Bosch drills, and I'm pretty sure they they may be assembled in Germany, but the parts are probably made in China. Yeah. And so, not only is this country uh, or group of countries known as China because it, it it's a very diverse place. Not only is it producing most of the world's products, they then have to be shipped thousands of miles. If things were done and made locally, there would be less carbon uh, emissions in transporting those goods to the person who's going to wind up buying them. The global economy is actually what's causing, if if it exists, global warming. It's the globalist ideas that are affecting climate change. And until someone's prepared to tell China to scrub its air, for uh, scrub its emissions from its coal-burning power stations, and to 
sort out its open cast mining, which is putting millions of tons of dust particles into the air, then all of their talk is absolutely pointless. It's pointless in terms of it won't solve the problem because they're telling the wrong people. No point in telling us, your average Joe on the, Joe in the street, because we haven't got any real influence over the desire for countries like China, India, and Brazil to deforest, mass produce, overpopulate, and all of those things. So shut up, Greta. Go and talk to the Chinese, the Brazilians, and the Indians. Well, I said it a couple of days ago. I said all roads lead to Beijing because I firmly believe, I wholeheartedly believe that all of this agenda that we're seeing is done not just with the likes of the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, but they're working in collaboration with the Chinese uh, in order to, and I'm not talking about the Chinese people, I'm talking about the Chinese government, in order to leverage us out because that's where they have their investments. But a couple of things there, you're talking about deforestation and I completely agree with you, but that's not what they're talking about. They should be, but they're not. You notice if when we went down through all of that Agenda 2030, we went through like the 17 points or whatever it was and the two or three part stuff. They don't say word one about deforestation in the rainforest, do they? They don't talk about the Amazons. They don't talk about that stuff because those are real ecological problems that we need to deal with. There are real problems with the environment, but the real problems are ignored because politics get in the way. So they have to make everything political and make everything about their agenda rather than the real problems. So the ideas that they push from the political standpoint become the problem rather than the actual solution to it. China, you said that we need to be directing things at China. Well, what if China is actually trying to follow along with all this crap, right? All this green energy nonsense, which Emmanuel Macron said that that's what they were doing. Oh, they've come on board with the solar agenda. Oh, have they? Have they? They've decided that they're going to be carbon neutral by uh, 2060 or whatever it is. They're going to hit peak emissions by 2030. Yeah, right. What, you're going to be around to oversee that yourself, sir? I don't think so. I don't think so. That's just a talking point. That's just a narrative that's being perpetuated on unsuspecting people. China has decided that they're going to start an electric car company. Their biggest one, in fact. They spent 87 billion US dollars on this company. It's called Evergrande, NEV. That's the name. It has a market value of more than several traditional car makers, including General Motors, Ford, BMW, and Renault. So you got four of the major Western auto manufacturers right there. You've got a big German player. You've got a French player. You've got two American manufacturers right there. You lump in that one. It's valued higher than all those other companies that I just listed. Guess how many vehicles they've sold? Um, none so far. Zero. A big yeah. fat zero. And it's, it's the same with uh, Mr. Musk's cars. Only two years ago, I remember hearing on on Radio 4, on the business program, saying, how can Elon Musk's Tesla company be worth more than Ford when it only produces 14 vehicles per year? And this was two years ago. So I imagine that output has been ramped up considerably since then. But he was worth, you know, that company, Tesla, was worth more than Ford was two years ago, but it was producing 14 vehicles a year. It's because the investment has, has shifted. They, they've shifted the investment to the supposedly green alternatives, which really aren't because we, we've discussed this at length. The mining process to get the stuff for the batteries, the building the new cars, uh, and then having the power generated to charge and recharge 
those batteries over and over again. And each leg of the transportation process for each one of those parts to its final destination. Yeah. So it's 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 a lie. It's an absolute confidence trick that this car is green. No, it isn't. It may not emit uh, carbon particles as as a result of uh, of its propulsion mechanism, but just producing it produces more carbon than uh, a lifetime of a diesel or petrol vehicle. With the electric cars, I, I don't think you're going to see them be carbon neutral, if you will, until we start using things like graphene or that new crystal that the scientists have found uh, or have been experimenting with over the over the last um, decade or so um, that is supposed to be more efficient and cleaner than using things like lithium, for example, for batteries. They're, they're, they're theorizing that this material can be used for solar panels and so on and so forth. Um, we have other materials that are easy to make and we can use recyclable materials, plastics, those types of things to produce like graphene or um, produce uh, the the other materials that uh, you know the, the, they're talking about here that are far more efficient, far cleaner, last incredibly long uh, comparatively. Like they're not they, they don't degrade like lithium ion batteries. Once we start seeing those on the market and we turn away from using fossil fuels and go into like nuclear or fusion or even hydrogen um, for power generation, you're not going to see anything truly green out there on the market. But we're making advancements there. I think personally, I think those things listed there are good examples of truly green options. The, the stuff that Musk is doing with the Tesla and whatnot, although some of them are interesting, the the vehicles being able to go to zero to sixty in like two seconds or or something like that, great. That that that's cool for um you know if you're you're interested in fast cars and whatnot, that's that's a great boon for that industry. But they're still using lithium ion, and the power generation is still fossil fuel. So until we can get away from those two things. Um, you know, it, it, nothing's truly green, if you will. There, there was a big step forward um, just a short time back with biodiesel, oilseed rape turned into diesel that can run a diesel car. When you're talking about mining any kind of mineral or rare metal or anything like that, you're talking about quite a large scale industrial process, all of which emits carbon and, and causes pollution. Growing oilseed rape, harvesting it, turning it into biodiesel. Yeah, sure. We have to use a considerable amount of land to do that. But certain parts of the UK, the, the, the farmland of the UK, wasn't being used to grow food. It should be, but wasn't. So they, they grew the, the oilseed rape there to produce the biodiesel. To my mind, that is a, a, a much more green and eco-friendly way of doing things but no we are being told you will have an electric car you will conform you will not be permitted to drive your petrol or diesel vehicle you will conform to this way of thinking so sorry johnny i know you want to talk about guns that's okay um, but you're missing one key aspect in everything you're saying there am i do do enlighten me dear chap you'll be happy about it oh dear i already said it I'm going to have to get on a plane now. <laughs> You'll be happy about it. Yeah. Along with owning nothing. So you're not you're not going to own that car. So you'll be happy about that. You'll have that car and it'll be illegal for you to actually own anything. So you'll be happy about that. I think it was um, 
1982 when Mad Max came out? Uh, I believe so, uh, yeah. Not yeah. 82, 83, something like that. Uh, and so all the diehard petrol heads that want to keep their, their cars will will go into the wilderness and become Mad Max. Yeah. It, it, won't, it won't be me. I'll be dead by then. <laughs> all right so uh glock i want to spend the last few minutes here talking about uh so, talking about some firearms glock has come out with a fantastic new little compact self-defense utility uh because that's what it, i believe that they are the g43x mos is the ultimate compact self-defense gun they're saying well i like that okay i, I like that that's good so it's a subcompact pistol and it's part of their slimline series essentially which are thinner and lighter pistols with a more minimal profile, which I, I like the thinner ones, right? They, they've foregone the uh, the double stack magazine here, and they've gone with what you do sacrifice a little bit there, uh, and they've gone with a uh, with a single stack. So they've dropped the magazine down to about ten rounds, uh, one in the chamber. There's your eleven. But I, I think that's fantastic. They've also put the modular optic system on it, which is what the MOS stands for in the uh, uh, the name, which will allow you to mount a variety of different optical sights directly to the pistol slide, which, I mean, that's that's good if that's your preference. I mean, that's not really my thing. I mean, I'm, I'm good with iron sights. I, I don't really care too much for red dot sights on, uh, or red dot reflexes on, uh, on pistols. I, I really don't like that. Uh, I mean, I'm okay with that on, you know, an AR or something, or even an ACOG on an AR, but that's, that's really about as far as I'd go with it. Uh, but yeah, I thought this was a nice little gun. Have you guys seen this? Ha- have you looked at it, Bruce? I'm sure you probably pulled it up. Yeah, I was uh, searching for it. Uh, actually, what was the full name of it again? The Glock G43X MOS. Oh, yeah. Okay. Quite small, actually. Looks like six and a half inches by five mm. and a four, 504. Uh, pretty small. I like it. Uh, I'm all about here, you know, for, for the U.S. And Marty's got himself a nice ACOG right there. He yeah. does, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm all about having these guns compact like this because, I, you know, I, I want people to be able to have self-defense. It's small enough that uh, a woman could put it in her purse, uh, you know, for example. And being as it's a, a smaller caliber, it'll, it's easier to handle and, and, you know, the recoil is more manageable. It looks like a great gun just on the surface. Well, personally, I'm I'm not in favor of this development. Why? I'm enjoying the conversation. Well, for a start, one of the funniest things I've ever seen is a lady, it was an American lady, as it happens, at the range, firing a nine millimeter, possibly for the first time, and not having it under control and the weapon coming back and smashing her in the face. It was hilarious. Okay. All right. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. But also, is it the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Second Amendment brought in at a time when firearms were muzzle-loading muskets and rifles. And the beauty of a a muzzle-loading flintlock pistol was that once you fired your one shot and you disappeared in the cloud of smoke so that your enemy can't see you, was you could turn it round and it became a really good club. Now, my little 1911 here is... um, it's still heavy enough to to act as a club. So these tiny little guns are they are they really a good idea? I, no, I'm, I'm I'm being facetious deliberately. I don't look at these things because I can never own one. I'm not allowed to have one because I live in the United Kingdom, where only criminals well, that's, are permitted yeah, but, to have but guns. See, that, but but see, that's the other problem because you got criminals running the government. So once we get rid of those people, then you'll be able to own your gun. I very much doubt it. You you know why we we no longer allowed to even with licenses own handguns in the UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one. <laughs> 
incident by one nut somewhere, which is what they're I trying mean, to do in the US. Yeah, it was kind of two. One was at a place called Huntingdon. A mentally ill young man called Michael Ryan had, um, I think he had two AK-47s. I, I know him. He's a uh, he's a doctor at the World Health Organization. Yeah, he's from Ireland. Is he really? Yeah. Um, uh, Michael Ryan from Huntingdon went on a killing spree and... The sad fact is that if just one more person uh, in that area had had a firearm, then several lives could have been saved. The police were unarmed and could could only hide from him. It took uh, some considerable time to bring AFOs in, armed police officers in to deal with the problem. But that was that was back in the early to mid eighties when that when that happened. And then the other thing was Dunblane where someone who owned handguns wanted to protest against the government taking his right away to own handguns by going into an infant school and killing small children and a couple of teachers. So that's why we haven't got guns in the UK, because of those two incidents. And you always needed to be licensed. In the US, I believe for handguns in most states, you need to actually possess a license to own a handgun However, long arms. No, you're shaking your head. No. Please, please educate me. No. If you want to purchase a handgun, you have to be 21 years of age. Uh, if you want to carry a handgun concealed in most states, you have to have a concealed carry permit, but you do not have to have a license to own that gun. Okay. Yeah, I get the difference. There, yeah, I can see see that. But again, I think a lot of the time, the concealed carry has its good points and bad points. If you're not showing that you've you're carrying a firearm, someone may wish to victimize you and they're going to wind up dead and you're going to wind up going through a legal process to prove that what you did was lawful one way or another, that you 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 will go through some legal process. Whereas with an open carry, if someone decides to still give you a hard time or try and rob you or uh, physically attack you, they've already made that conscious choice. But of course, we've seen it all too often uh, and usually there's video evidence of it, of police-assisted suicides, where because the, the mentally ill person knows that the police are armed, or your police are armed, and if they make certain aggressive moves towards that armed police officer, they are going to fire. Having an open carry could encourage one of those fruit Loops to engage you. So it's it's a... I know it's six of one, half a dozen of the other for me. I actually, I like open carry. I mean, Bruce and I both come from open carry states. People open carry there all the time. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you ha- you go out and you have a, a long gun slung across your uh, your shoulder or your chest. I mean, I, I really, I, I've never really seen that. I mean, other I, than the side of a range. I know y- you probably do. Yeah, but. Uh, ironically, that is actually legal in more states to open carry a long gun than it is to open carry a handgun. Uh, and, and. Most states, you have to have a license to carry a handgun, open carry a handgun. But in almost all states, you don't have to have a license or anything to open carry a long gun. Uh, I, anyway, just ironic there um, mm-hmm. with but all the, the debacle going on now. They the seem states. to have disappeared um, from the internet for the moment because they haven't been cropping up in my feed. But I used to see a lot of Second Amendment audit um, videos of people deliberately open carrying uh, legally um, and being stopped and the police not understanding what the law was. Yeah, and uh, that's the problem and, right there is they yeah. don't understand. 
there's um obviously this is probably all subjudicy, so whatever we say should be careful and measured. The policewoman that shouted taser, 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 and then shot a man in the liver with a firearm as opposed to the taser, which she said she thought she had drawn. What do you guys think about that? We talked about that a little bit uh, just the other day when we watched the body cam footage. Uh, Here's the thing. I've carried both a fully loaded Glock firearm as the officer, maybe not the same exact model, but I've I've carried fully loaded Glocks. And the fully loaded weight of a Glock handgun is about 34 to 36 ounces, depending on what model uh, you have, uh, just on average. And I've also carried the same variant or roughly the equivalent of the taser that she has uh, as well as as what they're issued up there. I've carried both of those. I can tell you there's a significant weight difference. You know the weight difference of those. You know one is 34 ounces and the other one's between six and eight, depending on what model you have. Now, I don't know about that particular department, but I, I personally, with all the law enforcement that I've worked with over the years, I haven't seen a single department that has had their firearm and their taser on the same side of their duty belt. I've never seen that. I've always seen, and I've worked with right-handed officers, left-handed officers, and, and ambidextrous officers, you know, the ones that can use both hands. But where they feel they are the most dominant, that's the side that their firearm's going to be on. On the opposite side of their duty belt is going to be their taser, if their department uses them. They're going to be on the other, the opposite side. And it's clear that you can make the distinction. Now, Anybody that's not been in the situation, I mean, I I can't speak for that officer because I wasn't there, but she's been on the force for a long time, or she was, she's not anymore. She's been now arrested and charged. But when you're in a situation like that, first of all, you have to, when you're, when you're going up making a car stop like that, in this case, I I believe it might even, might've even been a felony car stop because he had a warrant. So he was getting out of the car. He was compliant. But when you're an officer and you go up to that car, I don't care if it's that situation or or any other situation, if it's just a simple traffic stop from someone speeding, every situation is a dangerous situation. Every single one of them. And I get that your adrenaline is rushing through you. I get that you uh, have to make a split second de- decision that's it could be saving your life or, or saving the life of someone else that's there in that situation. You don't know. I've been in those situations. I've had to make those calls. So I get the pressure that they're under. I get the adrenaline rush. I get the the fact that you have to make the right choice. But that's the point of being trained properly. And I know that's probably where you're going to go with it, Marty, is is the uh, the training aspect of it, because that's what no, we've seen. No, for, for, for once, uh, I'm not going to go, go that direction. I've seen the footage. I saw the young man that was shot. I saw his car speed off after she'd said, I've shot him. And I think that she probably said the wrong warning. She knew she had a, a, a firearm in her hand, not the taser, because for all the reasons that you've just mentioned, that you can feel the weight difference. They're not kept on the same side, so they can't be accidentally drawn mistakenly. You know, you can't draw the, the wrong one mistakenly. In the UK, I think that um, firearmed and ta- or police officers that are both firearmed and taser armed wear the taser on the chest so that they can draw with their dominant hand either weapon rather than having to cross draw which we all know as as its own problems i think she was supposed to be shouting stop or i'm going to fire and she shouted taser 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 and he continued to try and struggle and drive his car away so 
if she'd have given the correct warning, then he may have stopped or she may have not, you know, um, appeared so negligent because she would have just given him the right warning and shot him. But it's more than the, the training. If he wasn't armed, if he was not about to hurt anyone but himself, is there legitimate reason to, to use a taser or a firearm? And that's a, a much, much broader question. It's different here in the UK. We're a smaller country. People are easier to find. If he'd have just driven out into the outskirts and into, where was it it happened? Was it? It's in Minneapolis. It's in Minneapolis, which is really unfortunate. So, you know, if he'd if it just driven out, could they not have got uh, helicopter surveillance to follow the car? Oh, Could yeah. they not have oh, just yeah. jumped into their cruisers and followed oh, yeah. him? Yeah, yeah. Rather than discharging the weapon when he wasn't actually about to hurt anyone himself other than himself. That part of it's training, but I think she knew what weapon she had in her hand. But rather than give the armed police or all fire, she said taser, 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 because she was in a stress situation. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's really un. Yeah, sorry, carry off. No, 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 you're, you're fine. It's just uh, to, to that point, and this, this is an important point to make, all the years catching criminals and, and tracking people down and, and investigating people and all the rest of it, all the years of, of going after people in that world, one thing I learned, if you don't catch them today, even though they might be right there in front of you, you'll catch them tomorrow. That's their life. That's what they do. If you don't get them today, you'll get them tomorrow. Yes, they might do something horrible between now and tomorrow, but you'll catch them. It would always bother me whenever I would see a case that I was working on and you're watching this person commit the crime, you're watching them in front of you commit the crime. You're watching them even via video, live stream video from two states away. You're watching them commit the crime and you do nothing. You do nothing. You, you purposely let that go because you know that you've already got it right? You've already got the case. This this kid already had the warrant out for his arrest. It's not like that was their only chance that they were going to get him. Now, I'm not defending what went on here. I'm simply saying, I mean, that, that's what we have court systems for. So that's what's going to happen there. But what I'm saying is, is that in a situation like this, we, we always had a saying, and I, I'll never forget this saying because I still use it today and we still follow it today, even around here. We always said, it's always easier to play Monday morning quarterback, meaning the big games on Sunday, right? Because American football in the US is played on Sunday. And what are you doing on Monday if you're that Sunday afternoon quarterback on Monday morning? You're watching the game footage, finding out where you screwed up and what you could have done differently to make a better business decision. So I argue that the same thing can be applied here, right? You're, you're looking at this saying, OK, looking at it as a Monday morning quarterback saying, OK, where did I go wrong? You could have just let it go, right? There's, there's no way that you can say justifiably that that's the only chance you're going to have, right? I mean, the guy was some gangbanger. I mean, I guess that's regardless of the point. But the fact is, is that he's in that world. He's in that criminal world. He was on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it was the day before that, waving a gun around, doing his little gangster pose or whatever it was. That's their lifestyle. Someone like that. That's what they're going to be into. So you're going to get them. You're going to get them. I would have personally, I would have let it go. If he jumped back in his car, Tell me how many police chases you've seen in the U.S. when someone jumps in their car and tries to run. They don't get very far. Yeah, he'd, he'd have been caught. And, and I think that's what should have happened. Again, yeah, I'm being a, a Monday morning quarterback. But I've, I've had a certain amount of training in stopping vehicles, searching vehicles, apprehending people. And 
I I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. The one thing I want to get across to anyone who's who's really condemning this this female police officer who's now been arrested, if proper psychological vetting takes place, you will never or you should never have a police officer in a developed country who wants to kill. None of them want to kill. And the psychological effect of her shooting him on her will stay with her for the rest of her life. As you say, there was a warrant out for him, which is why from what was a normal traffic stop turned into uh, an arrest situation. People need to understand that, that police officers who have to discharge their weapons suffer for a long time afterwards if they and some of them never stop suffering because it is traumatic it's it's not what they joined up to do they joined up to protect and serve that's the the american way isn't it but that's that's what police officers in developed countries do the rest of the world most of them are corrupt and in it for a few bucks but in developed countries they're there to protect and serve and having to discharge their firearm affects them for the rest of their life so um, it's a really sad situation, but I'm glad we agree that in that situation, from what we saw of the video, they should have let him run, let him run and catch him later. I'm going to push back just slightly on this one, uh, just to throw a scenario out there. Now, just to be clear, the evidence that we currently have, it does look like it's involuntary manslaughter, just to be clear, right? Now... To say they they shouldn't have done anything, right, or or shouldn't have acted, I think in that scenario, a taser would have been applicable if she would have drawn the right weapon. However, uh, taking that out, let's say they didn't do anything and they didn't stop him. He's already beaten someone. He's already threatened with a firearm. He's already, uh, he, he's a felon. It was a felony traffic stop at that point. Let's say they didn't um, apprehend him there and they just let him go. What's stopping him from trying to run them over? What's stopping him from fleeing and killing someone else? I mean, he takes off and drives erratically, trying, thinking he's uh, trying to run from the cops. He could end up in an accident and kill two people or four people or, you know, himself. I mean, you know, there, there's a number of scenarios that could have gone on there. So in that situation, I think the right action would have been to pull the taser and tase him. The, the problem is, like I said, she pulled her firearm. And watching in the video, you can tell that she was shocked that it was a firearm and the rest of them were shocked it was her, her firearm. But it, it should have never have been. I actually, to your point about what, the, what they do in, uh, in, in the UK for, for um, the taser, I like the idea of having the taser on the, on the chest because that is a different mechanical motion. Um, you know, drawing your firearm, that, that's pretty, you know, it's, it's on your belt. So it's kind of an easy mechanical, you know. And then having to do go for your chest to to grab the taser, I like that idea better. It's easy, it's more accessible as well uh, for the officer. So I, I I like that idea, and I I really wish law enforcement would look into that. Well, um, here, yeah, here in the UK as well. Don't forget, we've got officers that are taser armed but not firearmed as well. So sometimes if it's a if it's a firearms officer, um, he'll have both weapons and possibly a long arm, but the, the, the taser is still mounted on the chest. Where the taser is mounted on the chest for an officer that is only armed with a taser and a baton and CS spray or pepper spray, it's obvious to who he's talking to that he's armed with a taser. So it's, it's a deterrent even just being there in its holster on his chest. If he red dots someone, that counts as discharging the weapon. That counts as discharging even if he doesn't pull the trigger 
and put the darts same into someone. Same paperwork. It's the yeah. same paperwork. Just yeah. just actually drawing the weapon uh, involves the same paperwork. No, you, you're absolutely right. But there's a there's another saying: if it, if ifs and ands were pots and pans, we'd have no need of tinkers. We don't know what would have happened next if he'd have been left to run, because mm-hmm. I'm I'm 95 percent certain he'd have been chased down. A stinger would have been deployed. His cars would have been taken out, and the car would have come to a stop. And then he's proven intent to to if he'd have been driving recklessly or tried to aim the car at someone, and that would have been justified. This is one of the exercises. Now, in the Navy, we don't carry guns very often. We've got great big guns that we use instead. But when it comes down to small arms, we have to do training. So if you're on a gangway for the ship's security, you're armed and you have to go through a course. And there's several scenarios in which you have to decide whether to fire or not fire. In one particular one that they use quite regularly, a guy walks off the gangway, doesn't speak to the two sentries there, the, the bosun's mate and the quartermaster, and he just walks off. Immediately after, an officer comes and says, stop that man. And as they look at him, he turns around, lifts his T-shirt up and pulls a handgun. That's the point where they should shoot him, that, that point right there. The actual scenario is he's stolen the gun to kill himself. And he was about to point it to his head. If the QM or the bosun's mate who are under training don't fire, that's exactly what he does in the scenario. You have to weigh things up with what threat the individual presents to you. And you don't know at that point where he's pulling the weapon from his belt, whether he's going to shoot you, himself or somebody else. So the only right thing to do is shoot him at that point. Whereas this guy trying to drive away in his car I think even the taser is too far because he's just trying to get away. But that's because I'm a Brit and we're not used to having armed police or everyday armed police on the streets. That, that uh, theoretically, that that would. I mean, the other the other possibility, and as you said with your um, uh, phrase there uh, about um, if an if it's an ands, the the other thing that they would have to uh, think about as well is he's in his car now. Does he have a weapon in the car? You know, I mean, that, that that's another possibility that um, w- w- what if he reaches for a, a weapon in there? So it, it, it's definitely um, there, there's a lot of things to process in that moment. Uh, all that to say, I'm going to say what's going to get me in trouble uh, from the left. Again, this is another reason that I think uh, women shouldn't be in this position to begin with. I, 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 I kind of I, I, I'm, I'm a bit sexist in that matter. I, 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 I would rather not see women in in these kind of scenarios in general but i actually got a i got a comment back from a from a female listener who said that you're the sweetest person for actually having that opinion oh well thank you um listener uh, yeah. i appreciate that but you I, can't I one- you can't detect sarcasm in text though can you yeah so- <laughs> I have, yeah i have one last question and it bears relevance because this is where it ties it all together from all the other nonsense agendas that we're talking about do any of you believe and hear me on this one because it's a valid question considering the the lunacy we've seen over the last 12 months. Do you do either of you believe that gun violence should be considered a public health emergency? Thank you Dr. Fauci. <laughs> Here in the UK it's on the rise but we don't have that much of it. But we're a smaller country. We're 65 million you're 320 million thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's all a matter of scale. But we have had 
these the, because guns are harder to get hold of and they're easier to de- to detect and the very sale of guns or the way it passes from one organized crime group to another or to terrorists our intelligence network is quite good so what do they do what do the terrorists do the the um, fundamental islamists they they turn to knives they they were effectively committing suicide because they were all shot on the bridge um but they turned to knives and it is a disease it is getting worse i might sound like i don't approve of guns i do i love guns and i wish that i was able to own the right type of of weapons to protect me and my family but i'm denied that so you know what what are we going to do about it but it does seem that the only people who are allowed to have guns are either the police, the armed forces, which are all under control of lunatics in the government at the moment, or criminals. They're so one and the same. They are one and the same thing. So, yeah, I, I find it really frustrating that um, me, with peaceful intentions, am not allowed to own something that could protect me. Bruce, I, I, I want to ask there. I, no- I noticed you laughed yes. there when uh, when I started. Uh, bef- before before I, we go any further here, so we can kind of wrap this up, uh, because we're, we've gone way over today, but uh, that's all right. Before we go any further, the reason I ask that is because the sainted Dr. Anthony Fauci was asked about this exact thing on CNN just yesterday. Let's hear what he had to say. Before I let you go, I want to ask about another epidemic in the U.S., and that is gun violence. Eight people were shot and killed in a mass shooting in Indianapolis on Thursday night. The U.S. has reported 47 mass shootings in just over a month. You've worked in public health broadly for a long time. Is gun Gun violence in the U.S. a public health emergency. You know, uh, myself as as a public health person, I, I think you can't run away from that. I mean, when you see people getting killed, I mean, in this last month, it's just been horrifying. What's happened? How can you say that's not a public health issue? How can you not say that that's not a public health issue? Is that a double negative? <laughs> <laughs> but it it it's not a public health issue it's a public mental health issue the kind of people who go in for a mass shooting which usually winds up with them either being killed by law enforcement or them killing themselves are mentally ill why are they why are we getting more and more people who are that unhinged that they're prepared to do that kind of thing um and i think it's because of the way our governments here in the uk over there in the in the US have failed people over and over again. They're not creating the opportunities for people to live happy, fulfilled lives, and people are turning to crime, turning to gambling, all kinds of addictions, which wind up with poor mental health that in worst case scenario, the person can get a firearm results in a police-assisted suicide in which they they may well take out a few innocent bystanders. That's my take on it anyway. It's a mental health issue, not a public health issue. I'm glad you clarified there uh, about it being mental health, uh, because I, I agree. It, it, there is mental health issues there. It's not a gun problem. It's not, uh, you, you know, it, it's it's a health uh, mental health problem. It's also uh, a media problem. Unfortunately, I didn't grab the clip before we did this, but um, Chris Cuomo here yesterday, day before yesterday, I think it was the day before yesterday, basically was on his uh, his program, CNN, saying um, the 
violence that you're seeing, you know, the, the, the deaths for the black community, you know, law enforcement targeting them and eradicating them so resoundingly or whatever the phrasing he was, he used there. Um, you're not going to see any change until you start seeing that happen to the white community. Now, when you have a talking head that um, arguably not a huge amount of people watch, but you have talking heads saying you're not going to see change until you start seeing shootings and white people's kids dying. Um, don't you think that might encourage people to go out and uh, use said guns to uh, enact change? I've seen the clip and I've seen, is his name Gutfeld actually going over the clip? It, and it's it's hilarious because there you've yeah. got someone who's the brother of a highly, well, a highly privileged brother of, of a very rich senator on CNN. Governor. He's a governor, is he? Sorry. Governor of New York, yeah. Right, yeah, Cuomo. I, I yeah. forgot. But um, weren't his parents some kind of subversive uh, communist? Um, um, uh, his, fa his father was uh, also governor of the state of New York, uh, and he was mob ties, yeah. Oh, okay. All right, I, I knew I knew there was some criminal element there, but actually, you know something—the mob—they don't like they don't like communists. They they really don't. They don't care for them at all. No, no, no. They're, they're much more fond of fascists. El Duce was the was their kind of guy. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, it's just ridiculous that he shouldn't be arrested for what he said. I'm sounding like a cancel culture woke lefty now, but but if you're like, it was you're it was there, hate speech. It, it, it was. was incitement to violence. Exactly. That's and, the point I was trying to make. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, I, I think I got your point. And I, I watched the clip. I think Ned sent it to me, actually. Uh, and yeah, how is that guy still on television? He's on CNN. Yeah. I've had about enough for tonight, I tell you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're, it's uh, been we're, a good, we're done. It's been a good, hard conversation. Yeah, it has. It has. Uh, and we, uh, we kind of covered all the uh, usual points of the day. So we are going to have to go. But uh, thank you guys for being here today. I always like it when you come on, Marty, because it means I have to talk less. I'm I'm delighted that Bruce is talking more with me now than he used to. Because <laughs> I talk that up to my I fault because I always ramble. I uh, I I sometimes take a breath now just just so because I know Bruce is there and and you you're always um, good at pulling me back on things because sometimes I can I can go on. I don't rant like Johnny, obviously, but um, you know what I mean. Oh, and one final thing. Don't forget that coronavirus started in a lab in Wuhan in China. Don't forget where it started and where all this came from, because it's being lost in, in all the other blurb that the um, propagandists of the mass media are pushing out. Thank you. Good night. Funded by Dr. Anthony Fauci. Yeah, him. Who thinks that gun violence is a public health issue. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, all right, we are going to have to go. So thank you guys for being here tonight. For those of you who have not signed up to our Telegram channel yet, uh, get signed up to us over there. We're mirroring all of our podcasts that we're putting out on our usual platforms every day. And we're also putting out an exclusive podcast only for our Telegram subscribers over there once a week. So uh, get signed up to us over there. You'll get access to our little news feed that we got going on over there as well. You'll be able to uh, take part in uh, leaving some comments, get a discussion going if you like. Uh, so yeah, get signed up to us over there so you can get all of that. Also, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so anytime by dropping us a line at tips at dynamicindependence.com. And we would ask you to pass this along to friends, family, and associates. We are trying to grow, but we do need your help in order to do that. So if you could pass this along, we would appreciate that. We are available everywhere you get your podcasts. Marty, you look like you want to say something. I just wanted to say, in case we have got any um, Muslim listeners, Ramadan Kareem, Masalama, Fir Manila. It's very thoughtful of you. 
Well, I've got lots of friends in the Middle East, and they're fasting at the moment, and um, uh, it's 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 quite an effort to fast. They they don't eat or drink from sun up till sundown, and um, it helps them to think of people less fortunate. You know, it's a it's a month long thing, and they have Eid al Fitr. Is it no? I've, I always forget whether it's Eid al Fitr or Eid al Adha after us after the the fast where they they do really enjoy themselves and if you ever get a chance to be invited to an iftar which means breaking your fast with muslim people I do have. go along yeah it's the food is fantastic the amazing. hospitality and very warm and welcoming absolutely so amazing okay we I'm do done. have we do have listeners uh in uh in the united arab emirates we do uh we also have listeners in iran and we have listeners in saudi arabia as well so yes you are speaking to them that will do it for today thank you guys for being here thank you to all the listeners everyone have a great evening well guys it's been really good to talk to you again speak to you soon